Ready to sell libertarianism this Thanksgiving to your relatives? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, happy Wednesday there, folks, and welcome to, of course, another fun of The Brian Nichols Show. I am, as always, your humble host, and yes, joining you live from our lovely Stratus IP studios here in lovely Eastern Indiana. Don't let cyber attacks or outdated business technology put your company at risk. Learn more at briannicholshow.com forward slash Stratus IP. Stratus IP, business technology simplified. Well, folks, tis the season. The holidays are officially upon us, starting really tomorrow with Thanksgiving. And with that, of course, your very angry, angry boomer uncle who will look at you and say, who the F did you vote for? And uh, with that, it's time, yes, for us to put on our liberty hats and to also put on our sales hats. Because, yes, believe it or not, the Thanksgiving dinner table is a great opportunity for us to sell liberty. But first, going to go ahead and give a shout out to today's sponsor, and that is the Libertarian Party of Illinois, folks. The Libertarian Party of Illinois' mission is to elect libertarians to public office, but also to help move the public policy in the or in the state of Illinois that is in a libertarian direction. The LP of Illinois believes that everyone owns themselves and that no bureaucrat knows better than what you need or want. When peaceful people engage in voluntary cooperation, the most number of people are served. And if you agree with this, well, please help us restore liberty in Illinois over at lpillinois.org and help bring peace and liberty in our lifetimes. One more time, lpillinois.org. Org. All right. So yeah, going on to today's episode, uh, it's actually us going back a little bit. And this is my appearance over on Dan Taxation is Theft's Berman Pods. Uh, let's say that again. Dan Taxation is Theft's Berman's Podcast. Say that 10 times fast. I dare you. Uh, and that is, of course, Taxation is Theft, where uh, he asked me the, the very blunt question, Brian, how do we sell liberty? How can we sell libertarianism? Well, I answered that question. And believe it or not, what I answered in that episode is exactly applicable to the, the conversation today. You're sitting down with, uh, again, the boomer uncle. How do you have that conversation? Or with the uh, Gen Z uh, super leftist cousin, how do you have that conversation? We're going to talk about how do you sell libertarianism to those folks, but it starts with, of course, knowing what it is that they care about. So with that being said, onto the show. Yours truly over on Dan Taxation is Theft, Berman's show, Taxation is Theft. Here on the Brian Nichols Show. All of the government programs that we don't like are funded by theft. All of the government programs that we do like. Oh, sorry, there aren't any. Government is the reason that healthcare is expensive. Government is the reason you can't go to college. Taxation is theft. And welcome back to Taxation is Theft, the show that talks about all the ways the government is ripping you off and screwing you with your own money. Broadcasting live on Facebook and YouTube from an underground bunker deep within the jungles of Mexico at an undisclosed location. I'm Dan Taxation is Theft Berman, former candidate for president of the United States, currently in the race for governor of Texas. And tonight I have Brian Nichols, host of, you're not going to believe this, the Brian Nichols Show at briannicholsshow.com. Um, 
it's it that's such an amazing coincidence that his show and his name just happened to be the same name. It's amazing. It's mind blowing. Um, before we get started, if you're watching the live streams, please make sure to share, invite your friends, start a watch party, do whatever you can to spread the word because we're going to be talking, especially tonight. I know sometimes we talk about some really boring shit that you've heard a million times about how much taxes suck, but tonight we've actually got some really, really interesting topics. We're going to talk about how to introduce libertarianism to people who don't want to hear about libertarianism or liberty. Um, introducing this to new people, reaching people that are usually unreachable. Um, so you're going to want to hear this. So make sure to tag your friends and share this. And of course, uh, during the show, while you're listening to this and while you're feeling ex inspired to hate the IRS and all these other tax collecting agencies, head over to taxationstuff.info and uh, support us by buying some swag, like this really cool hat that I have on that you cannot see if you're listening to the podcast. But if you're listening to the podcast, you need to head over to YouTube and subscribe, of course. Anyways, on to the show. Brian Nichols, welcome. I'm doing awesome. I, so I want to start the show out before we get into it. Which tax do you hate the most? <laughs> Enthusiastically again, I hate property tax because why would you pay taxes for something you already own? Absolutely. But it's and and we we say the same thing about like um the vehicle taxes and and you know things like that, but it's like even even with vehicle taxes, you can say, okay, I'm not going to use my car. You can park it in the garage. I mean, right. I used it anyway. But, you know, park it in the garage and not have to pay that just to keep it. But with property, you can't do that. Right. You and, just kind of, you know, live where we live. <laughs> yeah. And property tax, I always like to say, is the one, you know, while people are out there saying income tax is slavery because you're selling, you're, you know, they get to keep part of your labor. Yeah. But it's more like getting mugged on the way home from work. Yep. I like to say property tax is the real slavery because if it weren't for the property tax, you could live on your land and nature provides everything you need. But the king comes along and says, I need some shiny metal pieces. Go into town and get a job and work for somebody to earn those shiny metal pieces so you can earn the right to stay on that land. Yep. Um, no, bingo. Yeah, that's the worst one, man. Property tax um, sucks. No, I'm not a big fan. Now, and, and you know what's wild, too, is how disproportionate it can be just by area. I had a, a gentleman on my show who's running for a legislator in Long Island. And uh, Long Island, their their property taxes, I think, on average, were, is like 70% higher than the national average just because it's in Long, Long Island. And, and just to think that just because you own a home on Long Island that you're you're being basically penalized, right? You're, you're being fined by the government for, for owning that land. It, it is truly like the and it is a negative incentive it's, it's a perverse incentive like why would i want to own land if i'm gonna get punished by the government uh, but yeah it's truly like why why like you can then take that and extrapolate it down to its like nth degree it's like well am i gonna be taxed for my cell phone am i gonna be taxed for you know my my, my cigarettes oh wait you know they, they are doing that and that's it's kind of like the the precipice the property tax it gives them you know, that, that initial domino to, to push down to start the entire chain of of taxation right and this one, I mean, because we're going to get into talking about this, but I like, I think this is a really interesting one that we can use to connect with lefties because lefties typically, they, they don't care about property tax, right? They're like, I don't own a home. I'm renting. I have a landlord. Yeah, tax his ass, right? Right. Um, and, and forget about the fact that like, yeah, that's going to raise your rent. 
consider the fact that a lot of these lefties, their, their parents or grandparents or great-grandparents might have owned land that they might have inherited and still have today if it weren't for property taxes that they couldn't yep. afford because they got reassessed over, over the last hundred and something years. Um, inheritance taxes that would have that would have stripped that from them. Um, we had um, this is a, a, a perfect example in a personal story. Um, my my grandparents, my, my grandfather had been working all his life. And it's funny because he would like sit there. He, he was kind of like a Bernie Sanders, like all oh, these millionaires. But it was funny because he was actually a millionaire, but he wasn't like, you know, the evil capitalist. He was a carpenter. He just worked all his life saving and saving and saving and being smart with his money. And, you know, all, all that turned into to being worth over a million dollars. And he bought this house for probably $50,000 in Los Angeles that when by the, by the time they had both passed, it was worth about a million. Wow. And if we wanted to keep it in the family, so they, in California they have like this, this you know, you pay property tax based on the date that you bought it. So now it's worth like 20 times more than what they bought it. Our property tax would have been 20 times what they were paying. And it would have been something like $1,500 a month. If we just wanted to keep that house in the family that had already been in the family for 40 years. Wow. It's absolutely insane. And we're not even talking inheritance tax or anything like that. So ultimately we had to sell the house, which is a shame. Um, Wow, that's uh, sad. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it really fucking sucks. And I know a lot of the lefties are going to be like, yeah, well, you know, who cares about you? I still have to, I'm still struggling to pay my rent. And it's like, yeah. That's part, of the, that's the, part government... of the problem, come on. <laughs> it, exactly. I mean, and, and here's the other thing too, because this plays into like, this plays into like the minimum wage, right? So all this has been stripped away from me. That means I'm struggling just like you to pay my rent now. So now... I have to compete with you for jobs, which means I'm going to be in the market. Well, I can work harder than him and I'll work for less than him. And so therefore all the wages come down. But imagine if all of these people who they hate because, oh, they've been saving and, and they can retire early. I hate those people. Let's let's tax all the money. No, let them keep all their money. Let them leave the workforce. And now all the employers are like, oh, my God, it's so hard to find good work around here. I would pay $20 an hour if I could just find somebody who could flip burgers right. Like, hmm. that's that would happen. There it is. I mean, yes. not for not for burgers. They'd, they'd find robots for that, of course. But um, but for all these other jobs, like, there are so many jobs that, like, if, if people left the workforce, like, they, they, would be, they would be fighting for more people to fill these jobs, and they'd be willing to pay more. Now, you'd probably have to be a little bit more responsible because, you know, they, want to, they still want to get their money's worth. Right. But the point is, there would be, they would be begging for you to work for them. Instead of right now, if you, if you got to make your rent, you are begging them for the job, and you're willing right. to take whatever they're paying. Exactly. Yeah. They have taken away the... In, in, in learning to negotiate, what is your strongest bargaining chip? The ability to just walk away. Yeah, and property no, for, tax sure, for sure. Has stripped you of that. You can't even do yeah. it. Can't walk no away. No autonomy. No autonomy whatsoever. No, you're 100 percent right, Dan. Man. All right. Well, let's let's dive in. So, you've been trying to crack the code. How do we get? How do we get? How do we deliver liberty to people who are 
not necessarily thinking about liberty. It's tough. It's tough. Um, and there is no right or wrong answer, right? Uh, it's what works. And what I've found has been working thus far has been really focusing on selling liberty. And, and I know there's like this like instant like gut punch when you hear the word sales. Uh, and I think that's just years of, of snake oil salesmen, you know, that kind of mentality, the used car salesman. But really, we, we kind of need to reclaim the identity that is sales and being a sales professional. And the reason being is because everything in life is sales at the end of the day. You're either you're selling yourself, you're selling an idea, you're selling a product, a service, and, and you need to be able to instill value in whatever it is that you're selling to the consumer, right? So when we're talking about libertarians and libertarian ideals, we have to, to meet people where they're at in the conversation that they're already having in their own minds. And, and I think too often, libertarians, we've been really focused on making sure people know how right we are versus addressing the issues that really matter to people, right? So I'm looking right, right just, now- They just jump right into the Federal Reserve. It's all the they Federal sure Reserve. <laughs> they sure, they, yeah, and, and you know what? There's, a, there's gonna be some folks that that argument, it definitely empathizes with them, right? And, and they'll listen, but it's gonna be a smaller fraction. And I would say that the people maybe who are, who are interested in the Federal Reserve argument, a majority of them probably already on board, but you need to meet people where they're at. Like, what, what's the issue? What's the bed bug issue that they have in their life? And I would say right, right now where we drop the ball across the board is, is talking about the lockdowns. And, and we're seeing it right now. I would love to see you know, Libertarian uh, Party headquarters take over this, this narrative away from the GOP and truly be the, the you know, individual liberty anti-lockdown party. Uh, we lost that argument in the 2020 election, and I don't understand why we're still letting it you know, run away, because this is an issue that's not just going to impact people in the immediate. This is going to have long-lasting negative consequences that are going to be destroying generations in the future. I mean, not only are we seeing generational wealth absolutely crumbling because of the lockdowns, destroying family businesses like restaurants and bars, but also we're seeing an uptick in, in other unintended health consequences. We're seeing an, in, an uptick in cancer cases because there's been a drop in cancer screenings. We've seen an increase in suicide, depression. We've seen drug overdoses skyrocket. So we are starting to see there's a very real number that we can associate to the deaths of unintended consequences as a result of policy that's been taken, or in some cases that has not been taken. But I would say more focused than not, it's been the lockdowns harming real people. And we need to be able to not only address that as a, as libertarians, but by and large, we need to be able to look at any other issue, right? When you're talking to the demographic that you're talking to and really focus it is, and this is the Scott Horton approach, right? Meet you know, the left from the left and the right from the right. And you have to do that because if you're not, if you're not a, like if you're coming in trying to, to preach, you know, free market economics to somebody from the left, you're you're instantly starting off on a completely different you know foundation of, of concepts right. of beliefs, right? Whereas if you're able to to start you know with a conversation from somebody on the right who's maybe more you know sympathetic to free market principles, then you can at least try to to you know peel back that onion and find where it is you have some common ground and then build on that common ground. But we don't get there by preaching to people. We get there by asking them about the things that matter to them and then taking that and applying liberty to their individual lives. Right.
Exactly. And this is like, um, I, I always use this, uh, this reference. I don't know if you've seen, there's a Ted talk about the, the best pasta, pasta sauce. Um, no. where, okay. So, um, I'll try to tell the short version of it. Ted talks are short anyway, but, uh, this guy was working for a marketing company, um, that like, it was like Prego or Ragu or like one of these really massive, um, pasta companies pasta sauces and they were trying to figure out they were like doing all this market research trying all these different combinations which pasta sauce can we put into that into that um testing room where every single person who tries it is going to say that's the one and they couldn't find one and what they figured what they realized was oh there is no perfect pasta sauce people different people have different taste and so therefore we have to have 10 different pasta sauces and when people choose the ones that they like, they'll say, oh, yeah, I like cheese. I like the cheesy one. That's that one's good. I like mushrooms. I like onions, like, like what, that, whatever, yeah. garlic. Um, and so that's what they do now. And this is the <laughs> same. This is the same model with, you know, you look at Doritos. You look at, you know, any any of these um, uh, any of these things you have. And it's really interesting how they how they uh, how they brand them, too. And I've got a bag of chips here because I was eating them because I'm being a fat ass. But like they like the different flavors have a different bag because they know like instinctually you're gonna go you're gonna go like just like oh i remember the green bag that's the one i like it like it like burns it into your brain didn't doritos actually just do a commercial so doritos just did a commercial and the commercial had zero name or brand identification so all they did was they had the bag they had the red bag and the blue bag right and they didn't mention the name doritos they didn't have the actual logo they just had them the bags throughout the commercial and the entire commercial was focused on the fact that you know how is it that you know so much about this delicious you know cheesy chip based on just the bag alone that right there i think that's actually speaking exactly to what you're talking about because people do and think about it this actually extrapolates beyond bags of chips it goes to politics too you you have like this instinctual reaction to red team blue team that's why not only do right. you know you that the presidential colors have that but also you know when they're on stage and they're having the ties that, that's all entirely done on purpose you're you're speaking to subtle things uh you know, dan brown he's um he's from the uk and he's i think he's an illusionist this is his official um title but there was a, an amazing uh, series he used to do back in the uh, the mid-2000s. I forget the name of the series. It's driving me crazy. But there was one um, – I'll call it a skit, basically, where basically he was going to bring in these marketing professionals. And these marketing professionals uh, were, were you know, driven from their, um, their hotel that he paid for for them. He drove them to – the um the, the studio and they they go through uh and he's like okay here's here's what you know that the campaign is right the campaign is going to be um it's going to be a uh taxidermy uh you know place for for you know people for their pets and and that's all he tells them so he leaves them with that information and they start, you know, crafting, uh, you know, they start drawing and, and they, they're you know, workshopping and, and trying to think of what they want to, uh, to, to, to do for the marketing campaign. They come to an agreement that they're going to do this, this like a stuff bear and it's going to be near, near the gates of heaven uh, with little, you know, uh, rainbows in the background and, and angel wings. So they, they start to sketch this, this design about an hour or so goes by and Darren Brown or Dan Brown comes back in. And uh, he goes, okay, what'd you guys come up with? And they, they show him the design. And he goes, interesting. Here, let me show you what I had from my idea. And he flips open a notebook that he had, and it's almost a spitting image of exactly what they drew. 
And the guys, the marketing guys are all, oh my God, what was that? Like, and they, they cannot believe that that's exactly what they had come up with. So then at the very end of the video, they, they go back to the beginning from when they got into the car and they drove to the, um, the headquarters to do this, this campaign. And throughout the entire trip, you'll see there are, there are subtle drops of, of little you know, uh, hints that are completely subconscious. So they drove past um, you know, these pearly gates and they drove past, uh, you know, the, the, this stuffed bear uh, you know, shop. They drove past um, this, this slogan, actually, they, they use. It was like, where, uh, where good pets go to heaven or something along those lines. So here, this, this, just this trip from point A to point B, they planted enough seeds subconsciously in their minds that they were able to basically be completely right. brainwashed to do what he wanted to do. Now, we have to extrapolate this, that he is you know, an illusion of showing us what he's doing. There are professional people out there who this is what they do from a, you know, a, a true like marketing standpoint. Like You take this and you apply it to a marketing, and that's why we have such an emotional appeal when we do see the, the red team and the blue team, the, the Republicans, Democrats. And, and frankly, Dan, it's, it's why I'd say the yellow team, we don't have too much of an appeal at all. We don't really have an emotional response because we haven't even gotten to the level that people are really truly paying attention to us. And, and I mean, candidly, like what, the last time we really had a, a national conversation about the candidate was Gary Johnson. And that wasn't for him being the most libertarian or, or I'd say um, the best candidate. It was because they were looking to for somebody, anybody beyond Trump and Hillary. And in some cases, they were trying to prop him up to, to take down Hillary Clinton. They were assuming he was going to take some votes from Trump. And then they started to realize, oh, no, he's taking votes from Hillary, too. Oh, we probably should change course. And then they elapidated him. And, and that's that's exactly why I think we as libertarians, we need to, to stop relying on the media to be our advocates. They're not going to be. Now, we can, we can you know, do what, what Spike Cohen did. We can do what Larry Sharp did on a New York state level, go to the, the local media and talk to the real people one-on-one, -on -one, which I think is absolutely important. But we're talking from a national perspective when we're having that national voice. We 1,000% need to have a cohesive message. And, and I think that cohesive message does need to be focused, yes, of libertarian principles, but it can't be it can't be out of left field libertarian principles. It has to be, again, focus on what people are talking about. So from national right now, again, lockdowns, no questions asked. That should be the number one thing on top of people's minds. Also, the economy, like that should be without a doubt one of the biggest issues. I mean, the, the debt didn't just go away. Like the debt's still there. You know, we're, we, we still have millions of people unemployed because of the lockdowns. There's going to be a long-term implications that we need to deal with from that standpoint. So right now, I'd say, Dan, we're, we have a great opportunity because I think you know, right now we've had in the past some hesitation to even have conversations about alternative solutions. But we even see like Republicans are, and conservatives are pushing against this, this great reset, right? That's being pushed by some folks on the left. But like, let's talk about it from the libertarian perspective. Like, we have all the answers, right? And we, we, oh my goodness, you can go to every single libertarian group on Facebook and you can, you can find out just how right we are, right? And the solutions that we have, and I'm, I'm confident and I'm sure you're confident as well that those solutions will work, but now it's on our, our roles to, to help teach people, but we have to bring them in first to be, to be taught. So I would say, I, I encourage the, the, the salespeople to sell, bring people into the movement. And I encourage the teachers, the educators to help like when we get libertarians here to keep them here. I mean, Larry Sharp, he was just in my show here on, uh, today, actually he's recording um, on Friday. And, and he's like, hey, I'm a recruiter. Like, let me recruit. But no, they're not going to be libertarian. I know that. I need you to help turn them 
full-blown libertarian. Like if we can get them all the way to, to ANCAP, let's let's rock and roll, right? If I can have them wearing a taxationist theft hat by the end of the month, like that's thumbs up because you guys did your job. But like once I get them there, I need you to help convert them into like a long-term client, not just like that one-time vote. And that's what we saw, right? Four million votes, two million votes. They, they didn't stick around from 2016 and 2020. Something right. happened, right? right? So we need, to, we need to get that long-term voter. And how we do that? We build value. And that, again, goes back to sales. Right. Well, and, and this is interesting, too, because you, you look at, um, like, okay, sales and marketing is not so much, it, it's, it's not as direct as a lot of people think it is, right? So you have, um, for example, um, with, um, let's talk about the dairy industry, right? Mm. There were got milk ads. They were not advertising yes. any specific brand of milk. They were just advertising milk. And milk. so people would, you know, they'd do their grocery shopping and they'd buy more milk than usual because they're, they're like, you know, they associate a value with that, right? And they say, oh, right. milk makes your bones strong. All, you know, all this other shit, which turns out to be totally false. Um, but they're, they're pushing this, right? And, and this combined with um, messages from the FDA, Messages from the FDA are going into the schools telling us what a perfectly balanced diet should look like. And it just happens Your to food have pyramid. milk in there. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> this, this is – it's not just the commercials that's on TV. And, and this is really important because when people look at um, like libertarian, uh, libertarian campaigning, they like to think that, you know, oh, yeah, we, we just get out there and we campaign and then people are going to like us and that's going to be that, right? We just have to campaign harder. We need more money for more ads and all that. But that's not it at all. And what I'd like to see, because look at how look at how these other guys are actually campaigning, right? There you have the special interest groups who are actually doing the groundwork. And this the special interest group is how you like, as you say, meet them where they are, right? Because there are people out there who all they care about is the minimum wage. Well, yep. there's a special interest group called Fight for 15. And they and all those people, they go there. They're extremely excited. They want to go out and protest. They're going to help spread the word. They're going to donate money. They're going to do all this stuff. But if it was just a Democrat, a Democratic candidate who said, "Yeah, I'm going to fight for $15 minimum wage," they're not going to get that many volunteers. They're not going to get that many donations or anything else. Because yeah, you want to fight for 15, but you also want to do a bunch of other stuff that I don't really understand. And and yeah, maybe I support that. Maybe I'll vote for you. But more importantly. I really want to give all my money to this fight for 15 group. Then you have Black Lives Matter. You have the NRA, which is on the other side. You have like all these organizations, right? They're very single issue. And you get people like that. And then these organizations partner with the politicians. And now all the politicians have to do is blow the dog whistle. Oh, yeah, fight for 15. Oh, yeah, Black Lives Matter. And everyone who supports those single-issue special interest groups is now, oh, well, I've been saying Black Lives yep. Matter. I've been saying fight for 15. I've been saying all gun laws are unconstitutional. No, the NRA doesn't say that. I've been saying these things over and over and over again, and now there's a politician who agrees with me. Oh, my God. Yep. They're already, you're already sold on this politician because of the special interest groups, and you don't even know it. Yep. You think some politician just came along and was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to support I, – I believe in the same things as you. No, this is all according. It's it's and and like you say, like about this illusionist, you have the illusionists who are willing to come out and say, like, yeah, um, you know, this this is how I this is how I manipulated you, 
but then you also have all these other illusionists doing to the doing this to us right now and just being completely quiet about it. So yep. it's happening. We're being manipulated, and we don't even know it unless we see it. And it's hard to it's it's hard to see it because I mean you can you can look and say, well, is that a coincidence? Maybe this <laughs> maybe this new person came along and they really did just support. Like, oh yeah, that sounded like a good idea. Um, or maybe there's some back back door deal going on with like you know money shuffling around and all this other stuff. Um, but this is my, my point is if the libertarian party started doing this, like, because we, we have a lot of really great positions, yeah. but we have so many people that come to the libertarian party and they're like, well, I came here because, uh, because I wanted to legalize weed, but, but what's all this stuff about gay rights? Or I came here because I wanted lower taxes, but what's all this stuff about legalizing weed? Like, that's that's the thing, right? Yep. But if we get yep. people, if, if we get and, and, and this is the difficult thing too, or I guess this is this would be our this would be our advantage if we started to do this, is the 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 special interest groups that are out there right now are very Democrat, very Republican. They're very divisive yes. on purpose. They yep. want to repulse the other side. Whereas a libertarian solution, a libertarian solution that says no, we want everybody to earn a living wage, but that doesn't mean forcing employers to pay a certain amount. That means eliminating taxes so you actually get to keep the money you earn. That means lowering the cost of living. Things that neither side can have an objection to. Right. Then you're winning both you you're winning, you know, people from both sides. It's still not the entire you're not getting the entire audience. You're still getting a niche. But it's a niche that does not repulse anybody. So now when you blow that dog whistle, right? If, if Bernie Sanders gets on TV and says, yeah, fight for 15, he's going to win one side and he's going to repulse the other side. But now if, if, um, if a libertarian gets on TV and says, yeah, we're going to make, um, we're going to make the, the, the cost of living more affordable and there is a special interest group that has been promoting what this actually means – that dog whistle right there is now heard by the left and the right, and they're both like, oh, yeah, that's okay. And yep. even if they don't agree with it, they're not repulsed by it. Yeah. And so yeah. now you, you do that, you blow four or five dog whistles, and you have everybody. And that doesn't come from like, oh, we've got this new person, and they're going to start campaigning. No, it's, these, it's, it's as a group we have to be pushing these ideas the whole time yes. through all these different channels. Yes. Well, so this is this has been partly why I've been having so many diverse voices over on my show, because like I, I think maybe too often than not, we have this mentality of like there's like this two camp, right? The LP should be the education camp. The LP should be the, the electoral camp for policy. Right. And and it's like it, 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 instead of being like it's uh, it's funny. I just <laughs> it's funny. I'm, I'm thinking about this right now. I did a Star Wars podcast with Stephen Ken coming up here this Friday where we just talked about this right now with like the Jedi and Sith um, and like talking about like how the Jedi had this like crazy mentality that like to bring balance to the force, it meant destroying all the Sith. And it's like that's not balance. Right. So like. That's what you see right now. Instead of having like this this yin and yang, where it's you you have to have like that that kind of like a give and take, it it ends up being like this all or nothing approach. So what happens is you have um, some folks who are like entirely focus on electoral politics, and then you have twenty sixteen happen, and then nobody sticks around. But then you have some people who are more focused on building up actual libertarian branding and, and you know activism, right? And then that I would say maybe we're going to see some people stick around longer from Joe Jorgensen, right? Fingers crossed. And 
And we're seeing, I think, right now, more of an approach to say we need to have both. And, and I just had Larry Sharp here on the show today, and we discussed this just this, activism versus being a candidate. There is a role for both, but you can't be both at the same time. Only very rarely can that work. So the difference, right, is is to your point, Dan. You have the, the fight for fifteen folks, right, or you have you know the the, the you know uh, pro pro life folks. Uh, what is it, March for Life folks? Like if that's your one issue, right? You're an activist, and if you're trying to to, to get into that world, right, then then you're going to be digging into that activist role, and you're going to be focusing on that one issue. But you're going to be start pr- approaching it from a libertarian perspective, right? But the candidate's job is not to be an activist. The candidate's job is to get attention. Right. So when you're a candidate, it's going to come across to your activists as they're not pure enough. They're not radical enough. Right. They need to be screaming the radical message, which is true to an extent, though, because there's like a a level where we have to remember we're we're like at a 10 and your average person is like a negative two. So we have to at least like bring our message down to like a six or a five just to even like be in the ballpark of them paying attention to us. Because otherwise we turn to the guy in the corner of the street with the blowhorn screaming at people as they walk by. And that just doesn't win people's attention. I think actually you and I discussed this when you were on my show um, back when you were running, right? So I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to see more of – and again, we have – we now have the educational pieces in place. We have the activist roles in place. I'm not – I don't care if you're a Cato person or a Mises person, right? We have those kind of edu- like institutions that are there to help the educational part, build up the activist base. Awesome. And then the activists be activists. But then also we need to let the, the, the candidate roles be candidates, but, but be true to the principles that the activists are speaking about. But activists also know they can't you know, go full, full on you know, level 10 libertarianism. You can't do that. It's not going to be able to, to resonate. And I hear everybody say, well, Ron Paul did it. Well, Ron Paul pretty much is like what? The only libertarian that we've been able to identify in the past 40 years that pretty much coalesced everybody for, albeit a short time. He, he did coalesce us. There was a unifying figure, a leader of some sort. And now we see it fizzle apart again. So I'm hoping that we're going to see an understand and a fundamental understanding, right? That we need to have this yin and yang. We can't have the Jedi crushing the Sith. You need to have the balance in the force, right? No, we don't need a Ray with her yellow lightsaber, but we do need to, <laughs> to have an understanding that because you are an activist, that does not mean that you cannot, you cannot support a candidate, right? That does not scream your ideals, but to the contrary, just because you're a candidate and you don't want to necessarily, you know, be hundred percent a radical, that doesn't mean you just shun those, those, those different voices away. You need to have them as a part of your coalescing base. And I think that's where, you know, we need as libertarians, we need to be focused on building more coalitions within libertarianism, within our, our own libertarian circles to begin with. Cause right now we don't have enough people in our ranks to, to be so divisive and so, so rigid in our, in our, you know, who is allowed in our club to be pushing people out. You know, I don't expect everybody to be a perfect libertarian when they start, you know, investigating into libertarianism. That's, that's expected. Like, were, was anybody a pure libertarian ever when they were born? I don't think so. And, and if you were like, God bless you. Like, I think you're the only one, but that's the point is we need to make sure that we're not approaching people the way that we would not have wanted to been approached when we are starting our libertarian journey. We need to be those people who are willing to say, Hey, listen, hold my hand. I'm going to walk you through. It's going to, it's going to be a little intense. You know, we're going to go a couple down rabbit holes, some Ron Paul videos about him leaving Congress and stuff. It's going to be good, but 
we'll get you through this. And I'm going to hand you off to some really good people who are going to teach you about the really nitty gritty stuff. Like, like if you want to start going in, you know, down whatever rabbit hole, you want to go about, talk about the federal reserve. You, you go ahead and you give them Ron Paul's book. You want to go ahead and talk about, um, Name it, right? You want to talk about the, the uh, anatomy of the state? You give them some Rothbard. You want to talk about, um, you know, uh, what market principles? Give them some uh, some Hayek. Well, I don't care, or or, or Milton Friedman. I, like we need we need to be building these coalitions instead of fighting each other. And because right. honestly, like, what's it, what does it solve? If like you're right, oh, great. Who, I don't want to be the king of people being right. Like I want to actually see people get liberty enacted in their in their lives because we know the value of it. We know it makes people's lives better. So like. Put our personal vanity aside. Stop trying to be right all the time. Like, great. If you're right, thumbs up. I'll say you're right too, but help me advance liberty. Let's actually get some stuff done. In the world of wine, there are so many choices, and that's why Blood of Tyrants Wine has tyrants losing their heads. Whether you're looking for a new go-to at home or want to impress your friends at a party, Blood of Tyrants Wine has you covered. And if you're trying to get rid of some pesky tyrants in your life, well, we've got that covered too. Head to briannicholshow.com forward slash wine and get $5 off your order. One more time, briannicholshow.com forward slash wine. Free men don't ask permission, so take a sip. You'll be glad you did. Right. And you make a lot of good points here, and you know I, I want to. I'm always knocking on libertarians too, but you know there's there's um, you know to to say to say well Ron Paul did it, yeah he did it. He also did it as a Republican, which if any libertarian does that, they're like automatically oh you're a bad person, you're a deserter, you're you're you know you don't even support, you're not a real libertarian, right? Yep. Um, and and it's like and it's like but he did it and and you look at um uh Arya uh, Demezio who ran for sheriff in a constituency that absolutely hated her for it she's a, she's a total um I, I think she calls herself an anarchist um ran for sheriff as a republican and got and got uh, at least she won the primary so she's now the official uh, officially the republican candidate um and it's like it it worked and not only that she got a shit ton of attention over that. Um, and it's like, it's like, this stuff works. Like, we, we need to stop, like, you know, it, it's, it's, and it's ironic, too, because you look at, you know, you, you look at, like, some people, oh, you can't fix it from the inside, so don't join the Republican Party. And well, it's like, well, then why does the Libertarian Party exist at all if you can't fix it from the inside? Because they're just trying to do it at a different level to a different right. organization. Yeah. We, we can't um, fix it from the inside, but we're going to fix government from the inside. Gotcha. Yep. Right. But and, and at yeah. the same time, to anyone who even says you can't fix it from the inside, since, since you already brought up Star Wars, the Death Star was an inside <laughs> job. It was exactly. Uh, and if you're a conspiracy theorist, 9-11 was an inside job. Like, try telling a termite. Jones, you cannot take. That? Yeah, you cannot take <laughs> down that house from the inside. And a termite comes along and says, hold my beer. Right. Like <laughs> it, uh, you can do a lot from the inside. The problem is one, getting your foot in the door, and two, getting your foot in the door and then actually sticking to what you were going to do, or getting enough people in the door to to help you. Um, which, yeah, it's not an easy task. Um, the Trojan horse. I mean, so many examples where yes, you can if you can get inside, you can do some damage. But that's the yeah. trick is getting inside. Well, look at Thomas Massey, right? Like Thomas Massey, belly of the beast. He is a small L libertarian as a Republican, and he's gotten a lot of flack. I mean, I know uh, former Chairman Sarwick was going after him back when he was, uh, you know, at the time um, running, I think, for a reelection. Uh, and I think it was something, a little snipe he had there because um, uh, Massey was going after Liz Cheney because Liz Cheney endorsed his uh, primary opponent. And it's, it's like, why are we going after our one 
like one of our few allies that we have who's a small right. libertarian in Congress. And yet and yet Thomas Massey, like if we did not have Thomas Massey in Congress, would we have seen all the politicians go back to Congress and vote on that initial spending bill? So now we have names next to the vote. I don't think so. But like, it, it, am I not libertarian for acknowledging that, that that was done by a Republican? Like, I'm sorry. Like, that's that's just objective fact. And I, I think it's I mean, like, am I a bad libertarian for saying that good job, Rand Paul, for keeping us out of war in Iran? Like, I'm sorry. I I don't think that that's a bad thing. And like, we do have to like let libertarians know the dirty little secret. Politics is a real thing. It's going to happen whether we're playing the game or not. And actually, I think it's Jason Stapleton who brought this up. He's like, that's why like, you know, his show is wealth, power and influence, because like people are influencing you as it is like you should be a person who knows how to influence others because it's happening right now. So shouldn't you be using it for good? Like it, it is right. like, yes, we have personal autonomy, but we also have personal responsibility. You know, like we have we have to take initiative and lead by example, because if we're not leading by example, then like, what are we doing? Like, again, are we just trying to be right in our little echo chambers? Like, I truly see this, Dan. We're, we're seeing right now social media is is breaking us apart into these little silos. And and this is really scary because once you go into these little silos and, and like the, the doors close, like you're not talking to people anymore. You're talking to your hive. And when you're talking to your hive, groupthink is a really dangerous, dangerous uh, psychological, uh, I call it really a psychological disease because bad ideas, just because they have a 50 plus 1% approval from that group, come policy. And then when they become policy, they start to have you know real implications on the other 49% that didn't vote for it. And that's really scary because then those hives start to get more and more segregated. And that's it's you have all these little individual hives. And like, what's again, what's the point? Like, are we supposed to like, are we encouraging that like to go into this weird segmented world? I hope not, because like we have to live with each other. I I, I dare say that's what we're supposed to be aiming for. Like, how do we live right. with each other and co? I mean, I, it, the ironic coexist bumper sticker, you know, on the, the van that's on fire. Right. But like yeah. at the same like <laughs> I, I, I want to be tolerant but I also like need you to let me like, let like you yourself need to tolerate. Like it needs to be again, that give and take, we can't have it be all or, or another. And, and I think it starts with us leading by example, trying to get people kind of back to having conversations versus entering these, these it's like, you shouldn't always be going to look for a debate, right? Like that, that, what does that accomplish? If you're going in guns a blaze, like I, I, and going back to sales, right? I have never seen a good sales call start out by saying, let me tell you why the solution you have in place right now sucks, right? Like that does not work. Cause then you're like, you're attacking almost that person. Cause that person probably made that decision right. to buy right. that. Right. <laughs> and the same thing is true. And you're like, I'm going to start this conversation by debating you. You're instantly starting off by saying, I think you're wrong. It's like, how about this? Let's maybe rewind and let's start asking some questions to figure out where we actually agree and maybe we're both right. And then build on those things that were right and find out where the separation happens. And I'm gonna almost guarantee nine times out of 10, you're gonna find that the, the point where the person like breaks off towards you know, whatever it is that they end up, it's something that happened in their life. It's their lived experience. And I know we, we see you know, too often people say we can't just keep talking about lived experiences and empathy because, you know, it, it, it leads you down a, a path that's talking way too much about, you know, feelings and it's not based on reality. But like at the end of the day, 
people's lived experiences, it frames their worldview and it frames how they interact with their, their communities, their environments, and also each other. And, and if we're not acknowledging that that fundamental reality is something that like all of us experience, then like we're ignoring what it means to be human and how we understand and learn from each other. So like we have to you know, get again, get out of the mindset that we're just right and have to ask again what it is that is making people tick. Why do you believe what you believe? And then we again, we have to peel back that onion, we kind of reconstruct the argument and get the person to help realize that maybe there's something that they didn't necessarily see before that now they see like we. <laughs> We have to plant a seed of liberty, but when you plant a seed, it's not going to grow overnight. Like that's not how it works. You can't just like say like, I got you. And now you're a libertarian because I was right. Like that's not how it works. When you see that like, you have that aha moment, like you have to step away and let them process it on their own. And again, it, it goes back to like, we just can't be going into these conversations wanting to be right. We have to be wanting to actually make like long lasting change, be it through policy, be it through getting people to vote the way we want them to vote, to think the way we want them to think. But again, it goes back to building value, meeting people where they're at, and actually engaging in trying to to be problem solvers instead of just telling people why we're right. Right, and uh, you know, going back to um, oh man, I, I have so many things to say about what you just said. But uh, um, let me try to touch a couple. But then I, I want to go to um, um, to you know the, the the feelings of sales. But um, yeah. so so I, first, I want to touch on the, the the point that you said about you know, the internet separating us into hives, which is really interesting because we were, we were kind of already separated into hives before the internet. Like you got everyone in Los Angeles living in Los Angeles, everybody in Iowa living in Iowa and hardly ever communicating with each other. And then the internet yeah. comes along and all of a sudden we've got friends all over the world, which is amazing. But now it's like we're being separated ideologically um, instead of geographically into into these separate little clusters. And then when we go out in the world, it's like, okay, yeah, we might not talk about politics when we go out to buy our groceries. We just say, hi, how's it going? How's the weather? And, and you know, you see somebody wearing a MAGA hat and you, you get triggered and it's like, oh my God, that person shouldn't <laughs> exist in, in my universe. Um, it's, it's, it's so like, true. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely insane. Um, but but that that does help facilitate that, and I think to to some extent we probably were healthier when we when we weren't in those when we were in the geographic bubbles because at least in the geographic bubbles the the communities that were we were in were still pretty diverse and we still had had diverse conversations in different people which which brings me to the point about being open minded we always have to be open minded and like I'm I'm constantly doing this and reminding myself to question everything that I do. Every time I say taxation is theft and like somebody actually like challenges me on that, I actually listen to their question and question myself. Is it possible yep. that I'm wrong? And every time I come to the conclusion, no, taxation is absolutely still theft. But yeah, they do have a really good point. This other thing that they're talking about is a really interesting problem that is being solved with taxes. And if we got rid of taxes, it would make that problem worse. So right. maybe we have to figure out a way that I can help to solve that problem. And that goes into what you're talking about. Like we, we have to be, we have to be engaged and we, we have to be leaders. Um, yes. Because there are so many, there are so many libertarians and anarchists who are just like, well, that's not my job. I don't want to be a leader. I don't want to have to teach people this and that. And it's like, okay, that's, that's fine. You can just, that's, <laughs> you know, that's not your obligation. You don't have to do anything. Right. But, do you want to live in a world with a bunch of people who want to run around stealing your shit? And do you really want to, to have the threat that if the dollar collapses because the Federal Reserve overprinted one day, 
that you're going to be on your front porch wondering if you've got enough bullets for like this like zombie apocalypse of people coming to steal all the food that you have in your refrigerator. Like, do you want to deal with that? Or would you rather just spend like, you know, five minutes of your spare time or just, you know, walk around with a taxation theft hat or, you know, do whatever, do what little piece you can just to spread a little bit of knowledge and make the world a little bit more free so that you won't have to come to that. And I know some people kind of fantasize about getting to that point and how awesome it's going to be. Um, That's not going to be. It, it won't be, <laughs> yeah. I promise. Um, but, but then, okay, so then I also want to talk about the, the feeling of sales because we're talking about we're talking about how do we get people interested in this idea of liberty, right? And yep. um, there, there was a, there is this great um, uh, uh, neurological researcher who, who did this amazing study. Um, uh, uh, I can't think of the name or anything, but you can, you can Google it and find it pretty easily. Where basically there was they did a they did a study on groups of people who had the part of their brain that that controls their emotions had had been damaged and they they had no emotions. And they asked them to make simple decisions. Would you prefer chocolate or, or vanilla ice cream? Which one of these cars is better for you? And right. they would give them like ones that's economical and one that's a sports car or something like that, right? And right. They, they could not they could not even say this or that. They would just sit there staring, I can't decide. And what they realize <laughs> is that we make every single decision is absolutely emotional. Yeah. And to anybody who says, no, I'm a perfectly logical person. All of my decisions are made logically. No, that is an emotion that you have. <laughs> yes. That's like, that's like, I'm in love with being a logical person and yep. I can justify every single decision I make with logic. But the reality is if, if it's chocolate or vanilla, you can, you can make all, like I picked vanilla. You can make a million rational explanations as to why you pick vanilla. Oh, if I spill it on the floor, it's not going to be as messy. Or, you know, it's not going to – like, you can come up with a million reasons. But the same thing is true of chocolate. You can come up with a million different reasons. And so all you're doing, all you're doing is you're, you're trying to justify an emotional decision that you already made. So now when we're talking about liberty and we're talking about, like, how do we get people to fall in love – with this idea of liberty, right? Because there are two things in sales and marketing that they teach you, which is fear and fear and sex, right? I mean, not directly sex. They always say sex sales, sex sells, but what is what is sex? It's it's just pleasure, right? And so, what are you selling? You're either selling fear or pleasure. That's it, right? Why? When have you ever bought anything except for fear or pleasure, right? Anything. Think about it. When have you bought? Oh, you brought it. You bought a new car. That was pleasure. Felt good, didn't yep. it? Oh, uh, you you took your car to the repair shop and you bought new brakes. Oh, they might have told you. Well, if you don't fix these now, you're gonna your brakes are gonna fail and you're gonna fall. You run off the road. Like yep. fear and pleasure. These are the two things. And so when a lot of politicians right now they're using fear, right? Oh, don't vote for the other guy because he's gonna he's he's gonna destroy the economy and kill your mother. So vote for me, right? That's yep. fear versus pleasure. Vote for me. I'm going to give you $15 an hour. I'm going to give you free health care. I'm going to give you free education. That's pleasure. So what are the libertarians doing? Because the libertarians mostly like to say, oh, Federal Reserve. Well, which is fear a little bit. Um, but that's not really connected to me, is it? Because, like, right. if the Federal Reserve is, like, overprinting inflation, I don't have a lot of money in savings. Am I really going to, like, 
like, yeah, it's, it's, these are evil guys and I want to see them go away, but how does this really affect my voting decisions? Um, it's, that, that does not affect my day-to-day decisions, but like, I, can, I can be pissed off as hell about the Federal Reserve, but I got to go to my job tomorrow and they're paying me seven, seven bucks an hour. And Bernie Sanders is telling me he's going to give me 15. Well, that's a more immediate concern. That's a, that's a more attractive pleasure to me or a more, um, a more real fear of having to pay my rent um, than, you know, the Federal Reserve, which is so distant and so huge that even if I voted for a libertarian, it's probably not going to change anything. So if you really want to get these people and win them over, you have to start offering them something that they can look at and say, yeah, wait, this actually makes sense, and it affects me directly. It's something I very intimately, closely care about that, that directly affects my life, and it's not that big of a thing that we can actually probably change it. And this is why they say vote, you know, we, we have better luck in the local elections, because, because yeah, those are, those are, it doesn't take, like, oh, we can get this guy elected with only 5,000 votes? Okay, well, right. let's do that, and let's, let's, let's try this out. Let's see if it works. Um, Okay, I think I, I think I covered all, all my points there, but um, <laughs> I didn't see. I hate doing this. Like when you're when you're going off and you're like naming all these like amazing things, I'm like, okay, I don't want to interrupt, man, because like I don't know no, where I, he's going, but this is good stuff. <laughs> trust me, I, I the same thing happens to me at my show because like I, I'll have a guest on and they'll be going through and I, I ask. <laughs> so when I ask a question, it's not not like a yes or no question or like a you know a quick little like here's a quick aside. It's it's like a here's a 13 part question that I'm going to break down. And also each 13 parts has like, like three ABC parts to it as well. And, and the guest is always like, wow, that's a lot to break down. I'm like, I know I'm sorry, but no, I completely empathize. But like the reality is, is that at the end of the day, like everything we're doing, we have to acknowledge there is that good feeling to it. Right. And I was actually just talking about this. Um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. I forget who was, who was on my show. And I, was, I brought this up, but like, even when you help the old lady cross the street, like you might think like I'm doing that out of the kindness of my heart, but like, no, you're doing it because like, you know, it's the right thing to do and doing the right thing makes you feel good. So to your point, yes, right. it's the pleasure it, you're, you're triggering that pleasure center. And actually it goes beyond just like a thought, like, you know, pleasure versus fear. There's actually like hormones that are, that are, you know, related to this, like your, your dopamine center, when you, you enact pleasure, the receptors go off and your body's like, Ooh, that felt good. Right. And, and that's and that's partly, I think, what we have to also address when we're, when we're drug addicts. We are. <laughs> Everybody's doing some type of drug when they wake up in the morning, whether it's coffee or, or just pleasure receptors. You know, at the end of the day, we need to acknowledge that that's that is how it, it really we all function. So if we're libertarians, to your point, right, like how do we how do we relate to the people? Like, again, lockdowns, fear, you're going to like you think the government has the right to tell you that your job isn't essential. And with that, that your your what your family's life isn't essential. Like I'm sorry, that's not the case. And that's and I I would dare say that your average person would be empathetic to that argument. Then and to the pleasure center. Hey, listen. And I, I every time Andrew Yang will say like I think we need to give another thousand dollars to to the American people every single month. I'm like, how about you you stop taking a thousand dollars from my paycheck every single month? Let's start there. Like let's just do the inverse of it. Can we start there? Is it like a, a, a you know common you know common starting off point? And like that's the argument we need to have because that's an like oh more money in my paycheck because they're not taking it from it to begin with. And like I think again we can start to make those those again pleasure receptor arguments. But again, it's focusing on the things that actually matter to the person, right? And what's going to, again, be your bed bug problem, what's the main thing that's bothering the most? If we can solve that problem, 
we are then going to be their trusted confidants. So I just had on my show, Kevin Vallier, he's an associate professor of, of a, oh my goodness, associate professor of philosophy, there we go, over in a Bowling Green uh, University. And he just wrote a book called Trust in a Polarized Age. And um, it's funny because I, I've been seeing this reoccurring theme uh, over the past few weeks in my show that trust, we um, are, are a society that's fundamentally lacking in trust. And libertarians have a great opportunity right now to be trusted advisors because people are looking – and this is just a sad reality, and I forget who uh, did this this uh, interview. There was a lady that was on – and I, I think she was talking to a, a Catholic priest, and um, she, she was you know, saying – you know, when, what she wanted out of life. And, and she ended up like breaking down in her, her going through what she wanted because it ended up, she wanted to be told what to do. She wanted to be told who to love, who, who to, who to vote for, what to believe, you know, you know, what to, to wear, what to, to eat, because she felt that everything that she had done for her own deciding in life ended up being wrong. And it ended up not getting her in the, the, the position she wants. And, and she even acknowledged in her, her you know, breaking down as she's going through this that she knew that the people that she's asking for the help and the guidance, that they're full of shit too. That they're giving you know, fake suggestions or, or fake advice just to keep the masses happy. But they're doing it because these people, they reflect that, well, they have a good life or you know, they, they, they say that they know what they're talking about. We're trusting the experts. And I, it's sad because your average person does kind of want – they have that desire to like, hey, can you just like tell me what's going on, right? And I think we have a chance now to be that trusted advisor. But it, it requires us to, to initially enter into their lives as, again, the person who's going to solve that bed bug problem. What, what it is it that's going to be bothering them? And how can we apply libertarian principles to that bed bug problem? So I challenge libertarian candidates or libertarian activists. Like, if you're in your community and you know that, like, your biggest issue is, like, the trash collection in your community. And it's like, you know, you, you have rats running around because the trash is not getting collected. Then make that, like, if you're a libertarian candidate, that is your issue. You are the, the trash collection on time guy like that is your every campaign is focused around you talking about that, because guess what? Whether you're left, you're right. I don't care what you are. You're going to be like, he's got the point. Like the trash collection is a big issue. And at the very least, you will then raise enough attention that it starts to get talked about. And then when it's being talked about, then we can offer solutions. Right. But and, and I, kind of that's why Trump is so you know, brilliant sometimes in his tweets, because his tweets make people talk about things that they otherwise wouldn't be talking about, right? I think that right now, while we are a smaller party, that is the Libertarian Party's role. We have to kind of be like the party that keeps the, the Republicans and Democrats talking about the things that they probably wouldn't otherwise talk about. Republicans, get them talking about free market economics, especially now with Biden being president, I, I think, going into 2021, right? Get them talking about free markets and, and keeping them fiscally conservative. And if you're going for more of the left, keep those Democrats on, on criminal justice reform. Get them get them to focus on, on qualified, ending qualified immunity. Like, make that an issue that we're going to push, push them on and make those bug, uh, bed bug issues things that we can coalesce on. Because then when we can plant our seed of, of messaging into those respective communities, we're building trust with them. And then when the time comes that like they start to say, okay, listen, I see that things aren't working in name. You know, if you're talking to a left, you're like, I know the economics right now aren't working. And I know that we agree on this and talk to me about the economic stuff. Like I, I, I trust you on this. Talk to me about this. That's where we're going to have inroads. But 
it doesn't start until we build that level of trust. And it, it, again, requires us entering into those conversations, trying to be genuinely like curious in how we can help solve those problems and then actually offer lasting solutions. Right. Um, and so there, there's a couple things that I picked up on here. And so one, you talk about experts coming in and people not like there's this people get stuck, right? They don't, they don't want to make decisions. And this is, this is a fear, right? People are afraid to make the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. But if there's an expert somewhere that's going to tell them, oh, no, 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 this is the right decision, people will, they'll, it's not that they're necessarily blindly following them, even though that, that does happen. But it's, it's easier for them to do something when, the, you know, what, what's the, what's the um, possible repercussions of that is it's the wrong decision. Somebody needs to be held responsible. Well, if I didn't make the, mis the decision and I'm following somebody else's decision, I'm not going to be held responsible. Right. They gave me the wrong information. They're going to be held. So it, it relieves the, the responsibility for myself, which makes it an easier decision to be made, which, yep. uh, you know, and, and this is, this is one of the, we're always talking about self-responsibility within libertarians, but um, I think it's really, really important to, to acknowledge that, that this is what's going on. Um, and it, it's, I, I want to say this too, um, that, you know, as as we're having this conversation, I just realized something that's like, you know, it, it's like totally going to change, you know, my direction in, in how I try to pitch things too. And this is this is what I mean by like always question yourself and always question if what you're doing is right. Because as we're talking about like like um, um, fear and pleasure, is I find pleasure in defying the government. So when the when the mm. governor comes on TV and says, "Oh yeah, uh, you have to wear a mask." I was in the airport in um, in uh, Houston for a layover, and like as I'm walking through the airport on the speakers, they say they say like uh, the governor has passed uh, an executive order that all residents must wear masks. Blah blah blah. And I was like, well, I'm not a fucking resident, so I guess I don't have to wear it. Um, and it's it's interesting because the government really specifically chooses the right words for these things a lot of times. Um, yep. You know, they don't they don't just say like, why wouldn't they just say everybody like somebody actually decided we're going to say residents instead, yep. which is bullshit. But I find pleasure in saying, hey, you know what? Your executive orders don't apply to me in the first place because that's not what an executive order is, not a law. And right. yes, you're going to order people in your chain of command to wear masks, but you can't order me to wear a mask. Um, so I find pleasure in finding ways to defy the government, but to other people. That's a very scary proposition. Yep. So while well, I can be saying here, like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. You got to try this. They're just hearing, like, oh, my God, this guy's crazy. Like, uh, I better get I, I better take a few steps back in case, like, the FBI kicks the door down and starts shooting at him any, any minute now. Um, and, and I think we have to realize that as libertarians that when, whenever we're trying to say things like this, um, and I know, like, we – like. It's, it's really hard for me to even put myself back in that position. But I remember like the first time when I was just like, I was looking online for like, uh, I, I remember like I heard it was at a, it was at what that Trump, uh, that Trump Academy thing. They were having a thing and like this guy was like teaching, oh yeah, I'm going to, uh, you know, give me $5,000 and I'll, I'll teach you how to, how to not pay taxes. And then this, this old guy gets up with his cane and he's like, ah. he's like income tax is unconstitutional. And he storms out of the room. And so I was like, well, fuck this. I, I went to go follow that guy. I didn't find him, but I was like on the internet for the rest of the week, you know, income tax, unconstitutional, trying to find whatever I could. And 
I remember like even being afraid to type that into Google. Like, yeah. oh my God, they're tracking all this shit. I remember being afraid. I remembered like making posts on social media and like being afraid to uh, being afraid to share videos that were like on YouTube, like like Zeitgeist and like and like the the Freedom to Fascism document. Like that was real fear. And now I understand that there's really nothing to be afraid of. So I can go out here and say all these things, and I totally forget how fearful I was, and that all these other people that I'm talking to. Will they still have that same fear? And we have to we have to help them over that. And this is kind of like you know your point about being you know up here at ten and they're down there at negative two. Like, yeah, if they see me coming, they see Alex Jones coming, they're like, oh my god, keeping my distance here. Um, we we definitely yeah. do need to to ease that fear. And there's a lot of information and education that goes into getting people over that hump of fear. Um, it's not like you're going to sit there and have a five second conversation with them. I mean, it's like you know, um, to, hey, come with me, jump in, fly this airplane. People are going to be scared shitless. But if they go yeah. through like a few classes, if they fly a couple times with like an instructor next to them, like that's going to get them over that hump of fear. But there's nothing you could say to a person in five minutes that are, that's going to convince them with absolutely no knowledge on how to even turn the plane on that he can jump in there and fly the thing. He'd yep. be scared shitless. So I, I think that's 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 a great analogy, but like I, I think this is absolutely important. Um, yeah, for sure. And uh, really quick too, like that's why people care about a resume. Like for better or for worse, like people are looking at their politicians and they want to see what you've done. And and like that's why we it, again. I'm not saying that that's how it should be, but that's how it is right now, especially in the the you know duopoly we have for our political system. So like. Instead of pretending that that shouldn't be like that shouldn't be the case, and we're just gonna like like fight through it, like okay, but like we actually need to like take that into consideration when we're running candidates, right? And like we have to be different when we're running local, and like let the local candidates when they get elected build the resume, like go from like dog catcher to school board, school board to city council to county legislator to assembly, state senate, and then all of a sudden, people in your community community know that they can trust you right they they're like hey yeah that bob the state senator that's bob the dog catcher who went through all those different roles and i know bob the dog catcher because bob the dog catcher was you know my next door neighbor right that's how you build up the the credibility and the trust that honestly we absolutely need to build with people from an electoral standpoint especially so i mean i you know we we need to encourage people to to really run local but when you're running local again focus on those bed bug issues for your communities and actually offer real lasting liberty solutions to those bed bug problems, become the trusted advisor, build the resume. And then that will set us up for actually like real lasting electoral success. And, and we're going to see it happen sooner rather than later. We had like how many um, head to heads against uh, incumbent um, duopoly candidates. We had Ricky Dale Harrington Jr. Go against Tom Cotton solo uh, mano a mano in, in Arkansas. You had Todd Hagopian go against, I forget the gentleman's name, but for Oklahoma corporation commission one-on-one uh, -on -one. Uh, and we've seen this right when Whenever we have the, the one on one candidates, we at least are able to get our names out there. Tom Cotton didn't even want to debate Ricky on stage. So Ricky had a pretty much an entire C-SPAN, you know, campaign ad. And I mean, like good, good for Ricky. That's an opportunity for us to talk to people about the bed bug issues. So like when we have those chances, 
goodness, take advantage of it. Um, and then in the meantime, use folks like, you know, myself, like you who have platforms to get, to get our message out there. Take, you know, that's why I, I have like local candidates on my show. I'm like, here, get your, your opportunity to get like your, your pitch out there to people, because I know how hard it is to get your message out there beyond the, the media. Like, <laughs> And I get really frustrated when there are libertarian candidates who are like, ah, I'm not going to go on a podcast. I'm like, okay, good luck getting into your, your local paper for that one ad, right? Whereas you can take this and you can grab a soundbite and you can make that a, a viral campaign ad. Um, you, can, you can sponsor it on Facebook and, and reach thousands more eyes. But again, it's a, it's, we, have to, we have to change the way also you know, from podcasts and stuff, the way that we're presenting ourselves. So you know, folks, if you're running for office, don't look at campaigns. Uh, your campaign is like above podcasting like that's exactly where you need to be going because not, not only are podcasts like you know being uh, you know the the growing mountain of millions of downloads that they are every single month it's expected to exponentially rise over the next 10 years so like you're going to see that the folks who are like building those relationships now and like getting the inroads with with audiences that's gonna give them more of a chance to, to build trust and that's why like joe rogan like i i cannot encourage folks enough like to to try and get friends to listen to podcasts like him right because he's bringing on folks who i don't care if you're 100 you know larry sharp or dave smith but they're both you know great voices for for libertarianism and he had them both on how many other like millions and millions of download plus podcasters or just voices out there in the media are actively having libertarian voices on for like three hour conversations that allow us to really dig deep into candidly conversations that need that time i mean how often do we see you know three minutes you know you have uh you know dave smith will be on uh, fox and friends or he'll be on um kennedy and it's like you have three minutes to get your point across against three uh you know uh, right. panelists that don't agree with you at all versus you get to have a three and a half hour conversation with a guy who doesn't agree with you on maybe like half the stuff and you can dig into the reasons of why and find common ground like that's gonna be the way that you're going to see local candidates, especially build trust. And I'm seeing it. Like I had a local guy on my show. He was running for New York state assembly and he came on my show. And like, I had people from my home community who he was running in that district message me saying like, Hey, I actually didn't know this about Mark, like in the name of a certain policy, or I didn't know this was happening. Like, thank you for having that conversation. Cause otherwise our newspapers, they weren't covering it. And it's like, there you go. That's our role. Like we are, not like playing the role of gatekeepers or journalists, but like we're kind of like serving that role when it's being not served by the, the traditional gatekeepers that are there right now. So like I encourage, again, more local candidates, get involved, reach out. And there are nonprofits out there that are supporting non, you know, non-traditional candidates, especially candidates who are getting money out of politics. Um, you know, I serve on a board, the Trailblazers pack, and they like support um, any candidate, nonpartisan, just if they will show like their money in politics, like they, they'll open the books and you'll show your candidate records and you're a local candidate and you're, you're not going to have any dark money. They'll support you. They'll endorse you in a heartbeat. And like they're a nonpartisan organization. Like we need more organizations like that. So I encourage folks again, I, if you, if you, and especially from my perspective, if you like, they want to learn more about that, obviously reach out to me. Um, so I'd be more than happy to, to put them in contact. But I mean that this libertarian podcasting network we have too. It's it's like this is this is I think the future for libertarian media is it's not the traditional gatekeepers of you know the the traditional libertarian uh, media organizations it's going to be the independent media it's going to be the the lions of liberties the we are libertarians it's going to be the part of the problems and the dave smiths and the jason stapletons it's going to be the, the, the those organizations kind of their networks all kind of interconnecting and we see that across the board as it is right now 
that's going to be really how we continue to grow. It's this organic, natural growth of these networks growing together. The, the audience is growing together. And, and you actually mentioned something very interestingly, like how it used to be that it, those silos were geographic, right? But now the silos are, are kind of going more towards ideological. And I was originally thinking, like, maybe that's a bad thing. But I don't know. Maybe it's also a good thing because we're learning that – the, the the ideas that were considered to be like the mainstream idea of your home community, maybe that's not the case. Like there's actually the 50% of people who aren't talking out there that aren't voting, they probably agree with you. And I think partly is that libertarians haven't been good leaders. If you're a good leader and you're openly saying like, here, this is what I believe. Don't hurt people and take their stuff or taxation is theft. And the people who also were like, yeah, like I, I kind of agree with that, right? Now they they feel like oh I can I can say that like and that's again kind of why Trump yeah. got so much su- support from Republicans because like they were like he's saying the part that we need him to say and they liked that and and that's again that's that's to the point that's I think libertarians we we need to now serve that role so I mean I'm I'm hoping we're we're building some inroads now and I'm hoping that those those long lasting conversations will, will you know turn into some long lasting supporters of liberty that'll help us get policy enacted across the world and actually make people's lives more uh, more pro liberty and ultimately better right that's the whole point of what we're doing <laughs> yeah absolutely man awesome this this was a great talk man um yeah it was a definitely blast. we we got to I got to have you back on this show I'll do your show more often these are this For is sure. a great talk um, but, uh, and I'm sure we could keep going on. We could make this a three and a half hour show. Um, that would be, but it's, does Joe Rogan, like, is that his, is that his like standard podcast time now? Three and a half hours. I don't, he just had, so I was scrolling through my, uh, my podcast catcher and he had Tom green on his show. It was four hours and 49 minutes. And I was like, Tom wow. green, like Freddie got fingered Tom green for four and a half hours. Yeah. So I, I guess so. I mean, good for him. Like that's. That's a yeah, marathon. But he, I, had, he had Dave Chappelle and somebody else, and it was it was about uh, something like that, four hours maybe. <laughs> it's exhausting, it's man. It, 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 like good for him though. Good for him. Like that's that's why he's got the the number one download podcast, I think, in the world, yeah. isn't it? He's 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 built up an empire. Good for him. Absolutely, awesome. Well, it's been awesome having you on the show. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to plug your show and anything else, any any other projects or anything you're working on. Uh, go for it. Floor for sure. Yours. Thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, so, so folks can, can obviously follow me over um, on all social media. So I, I'm active Twitter, Facebook, um, but also I do minds.com and uh, parlor recently as well. So you can find me at B Nichols Liberty. Um, and then the show, the Brian Nichols show. Yes. As you mentioned in the intro, they aptly name uh, the Brian Nichols show. It's easy to find Brian Um Right now we're around 162, I think episodes total. Uh, I've had the show for around three years and I've had amazing guests ranging from yes the host here dan taxation is steph berman all the way to uh, candidates like uh, larry sharp when he was running for office in 2018 to now serving as a podcast host at the sharp way um joe jorgensen justin amash thomas massey glenn jacobs um, mark lobliner there's so many great folks i've had in this show uh and really the whole point of the show how do we focus on selling liberty effectively to people um i'm having people on from all different uh, political means of thought having conversations about the issues that people care about right 
talking about the issues that are the bed bug problems. So um, folks can go ahead, follow again. It's the Brian Nichols Show, uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, if they are interested and they like what they hear, I would definitely appreciate a subscribe. Um, and definitely if they uh, give me the subscribe, the five-star rating and review would be uh, much appreciated. So otherwise, Dan, it's been an absolute blast, man. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me on the show. And, and definitely going to be having you on the future for sure as well. I think this conversation, it's, it's one that it, it needs to be constant. It can't be every election cycle. We got to keep, we got to keep the, the, the sales cycle churning. There's no, uh, there's no off season for Liberty. Absolutely. Um, and of course, uh, head on over to taxationistheft.info and get all your info on not paying taxes get your awesome hats and swag and everything support us keep the show on the air keep us distributing our counter propaganda all around the world and ending fighting to end taxation for everybody because uh don't you want to live in a tax-free society i think that would be fucking amazing oh, man. all right guys thanks thanks so much um brian thanks again and uh we'll see you next time taxation is theft all right folks well there you go that's the answer how do you sell libertarianism this thanksgiving when you're sitting down with the leftist cousin and the boomer uncle it's very easy meet them where they're at on the issues they care about and maybe if it's uh, a situation where the cause is not worth it because they're not your target market well maybe look to aunt Susie, who's open to having that conversation so with that being said folks thank you have a very happy thanksgiving we're going to have another throwback episode tomorrow um and i hope you guys as you're sitting down with your friends your family enjoying some time that you do take some time in fact to look around and appreciate the things that there are to be thankful for and there's a lot guys i mean i know it's easy to get into the the, the black pill type of mentality but let's really take some time and appreciate all that we do have especially when it's quite obvious that things are likely going to get rough in the very near future so Right now, when we do have some things to really appreciate and be thankful for, um, I know I I'm, have a lot to be thankful for, especially over this past year. So I want to hear what you're thankful for. Do me a favor. Go ahead down below in today's comments. Let me know. Uh, let me know what you're thankful for. What are you looking forward to for Thanksgiving? Um, I'm looking forward to a nice big turkey leg, the Dallas Cowboys, hopefully beating the New York Giants and a nice long nap because I've had a very busy month. So looking forward to some R&R. And uh, I would love to hear again what you're looking forward to, but also what you're thankful for this year. And I'm thankful for, yeah, I moved out here to Indiana. I'm expecting my first child. And oh, by the way, uh, we're having a lot of success. You're reaching uh, quite literally tens of thousands of folks uh, every single month. It's really cool and something that I never thought I would be having a chance to do. Uh, but hey, here we are. So I, yeah, I'm very thankful. And it's not possible without you guys. Uh, so thank you for all that you do. And with that being said, if you could do me a favor, if you enjoyed today's episode, do do me a solid and share it. Why not? Go ahead, spread the word. And when you do, go ahead and tag yours truly at B Nichols Liberty. By the way, we also had this over on the YouTubes, the Rumbles, and the Odysseys. So wherever it is you get your, your video content, just do me a favor, hit that subscribe button and little notification bell so you don't miss a single time we have a new episode airing. And oh, by the way, I, I mentioned it last episode. I got to mention it again. I'd be remiss if I didn't. Well, actually two things. Number one, great sponsor, Blood of Tyrants Wine. Tis the season. Yes, you're going to be going to holiday parties or you're looking to get that great gift for your coworker and you're like, I don't know what to get. And I know I'm political and I want to kind of maybe tell that really liberal leftist political Karen uh, that, that works in HR 
when I get her a gift that just kind of, you know, just it, it's a little poke, bought a tyrant's wine. Perfect gift for that little tyrant in your life. And uh, use code TBNS for $5 off over at uh, checkout. BrianNicholsShow.com forward slash wine, number one. Number two, BrianNicholsShow.com forward slash shop. That'll bring you over to our amazing store at Proud Libertarian, where you can get anything you could possibly think of for that Liberty fanatic in your life, whether it's snapbacks, hoodies, backpacks, garden signs, you name it, we's got it. So with that being said, check out our, now that's what I call tyranny, Klaus Schwab shirt. What happened in 1971? Liberty Legends, uh, we have our Magic Money Tree shirt and more. So please head over to briannicholshow.com forward slash shop if you're looking for that perfect gift for, again, that one and only Liberty lover you have there in your life, that true freedom fanatic. Get them something that they will be able to smile when they open up their present and say, oh, thank you, you knew, and you got me something I really wanted. So, guys, that's all I have for you. Happy Thanksgiving. Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Enjoying the audio version of the show? Then you'll love our YouTube channel. Be sure to head over there and subscribe. And if you're new to The Brian Nichols Show, be sure to head to your favorite podcast catcher and click download all unplayed episodes so you don't miss one of our nearly 500 episodes that will be sure to leave you educated, enlightened, and informed. If you got value from today's episode, can you do me a favor and head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash support and leave us a $5 donation? And by the way, have you given the show a five-star review yet? If not, head to Apple Podcasts and tell folks why you listen to the program and don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe too. Follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty. And again, if you'd be so kind, please consider making a donation to The Brian Nichols Show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network.